You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the MLB Extras Braves podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Mark Bowman, our Braves reporter. Mark, we're going to continue to go around the horn, so to speak, for the Braves, checking in on all the different positions. Today on the podcast, we will cover the starting rotation and the depth that could get into that starting rotation based on injuries and what could go on there. Uh, We'll also talk about a couple of young arms that could find their way into that rotation at some point that have made their way already on MLB Pipeline's top 10 right-handed pitchers list that came out this week. And then we'll hear from one of those guys as well. Kyle Wright was at the Rookie Career Development Program earlier this month, so we will hear from him. But let's start at the top of this rotation. Although it's kind of hard, this this Braves team obviously won the division a year ago, but when you start looking at the rotation and trying to figure out, all right, here's number one, here's number two, here's three, four, and five, it kind of blurs a little bit, but because of experience and the year he had in 2018, is Mike Fultonevich the ace, so to speak, on the staff? Yeah, there's no doubt about it. If you're going to go ahead and call him a a frontline starter based on what he did last year, I mean, that, that's fine. But the, we all know that to legitimately earn that title, he's going to have to repeat what he did last year. There were a lot of uh, good signs that the big adjustment that he made you know, from year to year was, was his delivery. Uh, from the the windup was much simpler, uh, less moving body parts, threw more strikes, had more command of his uh, fastball and, you know, his slider, which is which is his primary weapon. You know, I look at um, – I glanced at it the other day on StatCast. You know, there's not, I think there's probably 25 guys, so it's not necessarily – uh, fair to say this, but just to kind of give a, a, an idea of why the slider is so important to him. Um, 25 guys threw that pitch at least 750 times last year. The only guys to to have a better expected weighted on base average were Chris Sale um, and uh, I think it was Dylan Bundy. And you know, obviously, the, the success of Chris Sale and Dylan Bundy last year was was much different. But at the same time, um, you look at what what Fulte did, being able to maximize the, the great tools he's had. Yeah, he, he's certainly the 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 one guy you can say he's a uh, front line starter. Can Sean Newcomb make that jump this year? Well, you know, there were a lot of doubts about Mike Fultonevich at this time last year too. So. Um, Newcomb at times last year showed it. Sean, uh, you know, you, you look further in that rotation, what you have in terms of depth, you've got Kevin Gossman, who has the potential to be a solid number three at the, in the uh, National League. We saw the success he had when he came over to Atlanta last year. Um, and then you go further into, you know, he if you, if you dig into those numbers a little bit, you start to see that uh, some of those stat cast numbers, whether it's expected – you know, expected weighted on base average or expected uh, batting average, whatever. You know, there were some some alarming numbers there. He pitched a little bit better than 
you know, maybe – or the results were better than uh, than expected. Let's put it that way, based on exit velocity, launch angles, that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, here, you have a guy that has experience, and the same can be said of Julio Turon. As maddening as Julio has been, um, you know, has because he's been so inconsistent over the years, uh, he – he does qualify as at least a solid number three or number four. And that could prove very big down the stretch. You know, as the Braves are trying to preserve the innings for, you know, many of these young starters who could make an impact later in the year, whether that's, as you talked about, Mike Soroka or Kyle Wright or Tuki Toussaint, uh, Luis Gohard, as he joined into that conversation. Um, what they have right now is at least capable of matching last year's success. You know, and obviously they won the division last year. But at the same time, I think there still is a, a need to continue looking at ways to, to possibly get a Sonny Gray or, or another pitcher via uh, trade. Yeah, this rotation may not be set as it is constructed right now. You mentioned Tehran and 175 innings was good to see from him uh, last year as far as the innings eatings goes. Uh, Newcomb was up to 164, which is great for a young arm as well. Now they got Kevin Gossman from the Braves. Um, at the deadline, and he was he was real good with the Braves. Much, or let me redo that. Edit there. Three, two. They got Kevin Gossman from the Orioles uh, late last year, and he was really good in his time with the Braves after having a tough first half, really in Baltimore. But that's understandable considering the type of season that the Orioles were having. But Gossman, after the trade, five and three, a two point eight seven ERA, and ten starts with the Braves. Uh, is he a lock to be in that rotation? No doubt, no doubt. He's a you know right now if you're projecting how you're setting up that rotation, you, you look at Fulty opening day, and you want to go righty lefty righty. Newcomb goes two, and and Gossman three. I would think maybe maybe you know Snicker gives the nod to the veteran gives instead of you know pushing Julio back from uh, six straight opening day starts to. Uh, um, Push or five straight opening day starts, pushing him back to number four. Maybe he puts them in there. But, yeah, Gossman's going to be in that rotation. Um, you know, the, the big thing with him last year, he has stuff. He has tremendous potential. He's, you know, and he showed he was able to compete, you know, with a team that was was in a pennant race. Uh, yeah, he'd been there before with the Orioles uh, during the early part of his career. Um, the biggest difference, I think, was, was defense. You know, you, you look at the – the two different uh, defenses he had to work with last year with, with Baltimore was, you know, certainly not even comparable to, to what he was able to benefit from in Atlanta. And I think that's big when you're assessing all these starters this year. Again, you know, this this defense has a chance to be, you know, uh, really good again because you've got you've got Ender and Ciarte and Acuna in the outfield. Um, you know, the, the question is what kind of, you know, mobility – uh, dependability that does uh, Josh Donaldson provide at third base. You're not, he's not going to match, you know, what Camargo did most of last year. A few guys can. I mean, I, I've said it time and time again, this guy is the best defensive infielder within their system. Uh, you know, whether you're putting him at third base, shortstop, second base, very dependable, very dependable when he's going to uh, be able to show what he can do at each of those positions this year. But, um, you know, the, the key is what kind of success that Donaldson has with the glove at third base just um, when you're trying to evaluate can this team match what it did last year defensively. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think that Gossman 
it was impressive to see what he did during those first five, six starts with Atlanta last year. He showed his potential. We all know that it's it's there. Um, can, can you say that he has a chance to be a, a number one or number two in the National League? Haven't quite seen that yet, but at the same time, uh, they're in a much better position with him at, it, within that rotation than they were even at this point last year where, you know, you, the big loss from this rotation last year was uh, Anibal Sanchez. Nobody knew what to expect from him. Uh, having lost him, knowing that you have Gossman there and, and the young arms coming, that at least provides, you know, some, you know, a level of confidence that would not have ex- existed had they not made that deal with the Orioles before last year's trade deadline. And that brings us to the young arms. You have Tuki Toussaint, who made it up last year, 2-1 and one with a 4-0-1 ERA. Uh, Max Fried spent a lot of time with the club, pitching out of both the bullpen and, and starting. Soroka and Wright, we mentioned. Gohara. I mean, there's all these guys. So in spring training, is there – I mean, is Toussaint, because of what he did last year, the leader to be that fifth starter, or is that going to be kind of an open competition with all these young guys in spring training? You know, I think it all has to do with the health of Mike Soroka. If, if Mike Soroka is healthy, I don't see how he's not a part of that rotation. Um, and, and when I say that, you know, the expectation is he'll be ready for spring training. Once you get into spring training and start throwing on a regular basis, how does that shoulder react? Um, can he prove that he can, you know, remain durable? Do they they try to take it easy with him early on just to preserve, um, you know, what he might provide – might be able to provide later in the season. That's always a possibility as well. Um, so you, you do have these options and all these guys, you know, you can send them back and forth between triple A and, and the big leagues. You send them down to triple A. You can, you know, monitor their, their innings a, a little bit, uh, or you are able to do that. Something you couldn't do at the big league level. Um, Gohar is probably the, the most interesting piece to me. Um, both he and free fit in the bullpen for me. I mean, I, I think that both of them have that potential to, to provide more depth out there. Uh, be that even maybe be that Josh Hader type uh, weapon out of the pen where you can rely on them for multiple innings a couple of nights a week. But at the same time, you know, Toussaint might be given that fifth starter spot at the beginning of the year. The question with him is, his walk rate, you know, he's always walked a few too many guys. Even, even when you look at the success he had at the big league level last year, you know, there were there were the, the walk rate was higher than, than you would uh, feel comfortable with. So, um, having all these options, knowing that Kyle Wright is there as well, uh, Bryce Wilson, um, and, and you know, I, I touched on Freed there. The thing that interests me most about Freed going to the bullpen is just where his velocity went last in September when he knew he was not going to be starting anymore, when he knew he was going to be a reliever. And it jumps from 92, 93 to 95, 96. And and you see that stuff, the way that fastball plays there and how much more effective that made his curveball. Um, he truly intrigues me as well um, as a potential bullpen piece. But having all these arms – available knowing that maybe even at some point this year that Ian Anderson's going to be on the horizon. You know, people might be saying that, well, he'd be ready at some point in July, August, September. Um, this team has plenty of arms. Now, if they go out and make a deal for a, a, a pitcher or a, 
we're not getting through this podcast without saying JT Riomuto's name. So there it is. There it, there is. it is. We need a ding, bell. Ding, we need a ding, bell ding, of kind of ring. Yeah. You know, you obviously go. you're going to have to to eat into that depth, but uh, uh, it's going to be interesting to see exactly how they utilize these guys. But even if they deal a couple, they have uh, enviable depth remaining. Yeah, it's certainly a good place to have. And and at some point, you have to deal some of them, I think, because it's just too many guys uh, to go around. Um, you mentioned Soroka and Wright. They're number one and two in the system. Uh, they both made the top ten right-handed pitching prospects, released by Pipeline this week. There's so many other guys that are um, kind of just in the discussions for these lists as well. It is really impressive. Um, how long can they go without having to trade these guys when they're just going to end up I guess at some point they're going to get bottled up at AAA. Yeah, I mean, you're going to get bottled up, you know, and the other thing is this. We, we all know that not all the, all of them are going to hit. You, you want to trade them before their their value drops. Uh, Gohara had, you know, what we can consider just an odd season last year. We all know what happened last winter. His, his father got sick. His, you know, his, his mother got sick soon after. Uh, he spent some time in Brazil with his mother last year. He didn't. His off-season training, you know, was was very minimal last year. Let's just, you know, he came to camp out of shape and had the injuries. Um, you know, looking at, at him, we, you don't know exactly what you're going to expect. You can say that his value dropped a little bit last year. Um, another arm, you know, prospect whose values dropped is Colby Allard. If we were talking about him last year, we would have said, you know, he's right there with Soroka. Now all these other guys are mentioned ahead of him. You know, when you start realizing or remembering, let's say this, because this has happened forever, that, you know, prospects only keep their value so long, you do want to deal, you know, a handful of them. You have to make the right decision on which ones to deal. Um, You know, every once in a while you're going to give up somebody who uh, has a great career elsewhere, but at the same time you have to evaluate that depth, figure out what makes the most sense for you, and realize that, you know, if, if you hold on to all of them too long, you're going to, you know, you're going to have decreased value with far too many of them, uh, whether that be the value that you realize on the field or on the trade market. All right, Mark, Chop Fest is coming up uh, this Saturday at SunTrust Park, the annual Fan Fest, basically, for the Braves. Um, a chance there'll be some players there, a lot of fun stuff going on, but part of it is that the Braves Hall of Fame will open its doors, and Terry Pendleton is heading in. Um, he's a guy that was, I think of Terry Pendleton as just a big part of when the Braves kind of reestablished themselves way back, the beginning of the great run they had uh, in the Maddox and, Glera, and Glavin era. Um, how important was he to those teams? Oh, very important. I mean, you know, I, you know the story I put together for um, him going into the Hall of Fame, I kind of I mentioned he, he was maybe the most influential pioneer, you know, amongst the players. Everybody knows, you know, what Sherholtz and Bobby Cox and Greg Maddox, John Smoltz, uh, Chipper Jones, you know, you know what those guys meant to the uh, longevity of that streak of 14 consecutive division titles. But you go and and you take a chance on Terry Pendleton, who had had a bad year in St. Louis the year before. He was, you know, frustrated with management. And um, I, I'll tell a story here real quick, just, you know, instead of just saying frustrated with management. I, I said to TP earlier this week or last week when I talked to him, I said, you know, just explain it. How, how do you how do you stink so bad in 1990 and then win the MVP in 91 and 
<laughs> too. And he he had won his arbitration case uh, during that nineteen leading into that nineteen ninety season. He he flew to St. Petersburg. That's where the Cardinals trained then. And he got off the plane, and there were some front office executives there waiting in the lobby to uh, you know, meet somebody else that was on that flight. And a, a guy walked up to him. He shook his hand. And this is how he, he greeted him. Congratulations on winning your arbitration case. This will be your last year with the Cardinals. Again, in other words, you know, we're not real happy with what happened here. Uh, it, it, things got started off on the wrong foot. Uh, Whitey Herzog resigned in the middle of the season. That upset him. By August, you had Joe Torre coming in to manage the team, and he was told that he had to play Todd Zeal on a regular basis. TP was going to the bench. Um, but you know, I, I think TP's character really showed during the, that time, uh, when, when Zeal began playing on a regular basis, he started going out there and working with them on a regular basis, taking on that leadership mentoring role, coaching role. Um, when he came to Atlanta, he was, he was ready and willing to, to work with the young players. Uh, he was energized, motivated, uh, to, you know, I think this story has been told countless times that some point in spring training that year, they were around the batting cage, and he told John Sherholtz, you know, who was in his first years uh, preparing for his first season with the Braves at that time, hey, this team can win. Um, and the day before the All-Star break, they were out in, in Los Angeles, and they had just lost uh, for the second time during a three-game series against the Dodgers, who then went up nine and a half games heading into the break. And there's a bunch of guys, you know, kind of – Heads hung low there on the bench after the game, and TP made a point to go up and down that bench. This is after the game. You know, it wasn't just pick up your glove and go back to the clubhouse. And he basically told them all, this this race is far from over. And by the end of August, the Braves were in first place, and everyone knows the rest of the story. But that just that impact that he made, uh, he and Sid Breen, Otis Nixon, uh, that season that, um, you know, just – just set the tone for, for what the Braves had for the next 14, 15 years. Um, you know, when, when you look at, at, at that success, you have to say that he was as influential as anybody uh, to create creating that culture that Bobby Cox wanted in his clubhouse. And he will be celebrated this weekend as part of Chop Fest. Great stuff, as always, Mark. Thanks for joining in on the podcast. All right. Thank you. We mentioned Kyle Wright with Mark and how he could be a part of their rotation at some point in 2019. And he was at the Rookie Career Development Program in Miami the first weekend in January. It's a program where players from all 30 clubs who are close to the big leagues go and learn some life lessons about how to live off the field from former players, also some coaches, how to act in the clubhouse, how to be on social media, how to stay out of trouble in general. Uh, MLB Pipeline's Jonathan Mayo was down there. He sat down with Mike at the program. Here's a bit of that interview. I mean, obviously it's an honor. Like you said, there's a lot of a lot of good players in the organization and, you know, plenty of guys are very deserving. Um, you know, I was just fortunate to be be one of them. You know, it's a very, very cool thing, an exciting thing to be here and be, be alongside a lot of other great players. So I kind of started, I started in double A and kind of struggled a little bit. Um, but uh, actually Tukey, Tukey kind of took off and saw how well he was pitching. So, you know, I feel like I should probably step my game up a little bit. So, I mean, yeah, there's, and then along came uh, Bryce Wilson as well. And he came in and showed the ball well. So I think we kind of all feed off each other and uh, we all kind of made each other better. And, you know, I like uh, to that point, you know, all three of us end up having pretty good years. So um, I definitely would say, you know, having a lot of good players uh, helps kind of propel you to the next level. So it was quick, you know, but 
uh, you know, I guess they, they felt like I, they wanted to at least, you know, try it. Um, but, you know, I was obviously beyond happy for it. And, you know, I was uh, very appreciative of the opportunity and kind of happy to have gotten that, gotten a little bit of a taste uh, of the big leagues. You know, like I said, it wasn't that long, but uh, still pretty cool to get up there, kind of get acclimated to kind of how everything works, get to meet a lot of the guys. Um, yeah, it was quick, but, you know, I mean, definitely not complaining about it. I feel like while I was up there, whenever I felt like I had I had success, I threw I threw my pitches for strikes. Whenever I kind of struggled a little bit, as I was falling behind the counts, and you know, guys up there they don't really they don't chase, they don't swing at bad pitches. So it's it's really important to to throw all your pitches for strikes and and execute them the way you want to. Thanks to Jonathan and Kyle Wright for being a part of that interview, and of course thanks to Mark Bowman. You can find Mark on Twitter at MLB Bowman. My handle is MLB underscore McMaster. You can find all of our club podcast at mlb.com backslash podcast or on apple podcast and google play as well for mark bowman i'm tim mcmaster thank you for checking us out hey rob bradford here you guys know i'm always up for a good mvp story and one of the best stories is wasabi technology wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams including 20 major league baseball teams like the red Sox and nhl teams like the bruins and vancouver canucks even the liverpool football club is getting in on wasabi action so why is wasabi the mvp well wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the amazons the world are charging in fact wasabi is up to 80 percent less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from wasabi's ai enabled intelligent media storage wasabi air to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals data deletion and ransomware wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.